Will you all turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? You are sitting next to a miracle. God is doing great things in people's lives in this church, and it's such a testimony to His grace because we didn't come here uh, into this world saved. The Bible says we were born sinners, but now that we've been born again, we're saints. And that's beautiful, and that's special. And whether you're like my father, dad, how long have you been saved? 34 years, whether you've been saved 30 plus years. Legia, I know, has been saved for quite some time. How long have you been saved? 24, amen. And I know that there's saints of God that have been saved for quite some time. And no matter how long you have been saved, it should always be new every day. Jesus should be sweeter and sweeter every day. I never get tired of my mom's lasagna. I never get tired of her cooking. She came to town and she cooked some of her mashed potatoes, ribs, and macaronis and cheese. And it's fresh, it's new, and that's the way God should be every day. Amen. Amen. We are studying right now the Sermon on the Mount, going through the entire book of Matthew, verse by verse. The website contains all of the previous messages. The Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus preached his greatest message on living for God. This was what Jesus thought about living for God. So if you want to know what Jesus' plan was for your life, you ought to be very familiar with chapters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because he was on a mount giving a sermon. He talks about the Beatitudes at the beginning. And Beatitudes comes from the Latin word Beatitude, meaning blissful. He starts off every one of these sayings saying, Blessed are the blank. And what the Beatitudes are going to teach at the very beginning, where we're at now, is how to live a blessed life. Everyone say blessed. Now, we have in America different ideas of what blessings are. We sometimes just limit blessings to our paycheck, you know, to our health, which are wonderful blessings. I thank God for those, and we need those things. But what he talks about here is the blessings of the spiritual life, the inner man, the blessings of peace, the blessings of joy, the blessings of having righteousness, the blessings of being at peace with God and with man, and to see God and to be able to worship him and know him and then to serve and worship man. And so all of these teachings we're learning right now are called the Beatitudes. And the, one of the scriptures that I love so, so much is John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have what? Everyone say life. Thank you. And have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus came to give us an abundant life. Everyone say abundant life. And we learn that that word life is the Greek word zoe. It is not the word for life that you and I have when we're born, like the air we breathe, the heart beating blood through our veins, ligaments, and bones. It is not talking about that kind of life. This life is a God kind of life. It is the Greek word zoe. It means a God kind of life, a separated life, a spiritual life. And Jesus said, I've come to give you that life, and I want you to have it to the full. God wants us to have a full life. He wants us to be overflowing with his blessings. And his blessings, like I said, are more than just finances. He, when he talks about treasures, and in, in a few chapters here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says the greatest treasure are the things you send to heaven to await you on judgment day because those treasures do not rot, uh, uh, they do not rust or moss do not eat them. So Jesus is trying to get us off earthly things onto spiritual things. Everybody say that day is more important than this day. But I live for this day for that day. You see, one day you're going to meet God, and that day is going to be the most important day of all eternity. It's going to be the day Jesus judges your life. And he's going to talk about all the things you did, and your life will flash before you. You will see what your life was about. And these teachings right here are to prepare you for that day. So today is important, and it's very important that we do what God wants us to do, because why? When we meet him that day, the greatest day in eternity, when Christ judges his church and then sets up his eternal kingdom on this earth, we ought to be ready and be blessed. Everyone say blessed. Amen. Now let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We learn that we've got to be broken before God to ever receive heaven. The proud will not receive heaven. I was on the streets last night, and oh, how I wish some of my 
platinum plexiglass pulpit pimps could come out of their platform and come out onto the streets and see what I saw. Basically, I wish pastors could get out there with me. Because this man was so drunk and belligerent, but yet he thought he was going to heaven. And literally, at the end of the night, I had to wash my glasses off because they had so much spit on them. Because he was like, it is spitting in my face, telling me how he was religious. Let me tell you, the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, that man will not inherit heaven unless he humbles himself and breaks down before God and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. It doesn't matter how much I know, I can't be good enough. Oh, come on, somebody. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we mourn in God's presence, it brings life. It brings joy. This is not God, a worldly sorrow that brings death. This is godly sorrow that brings life. Mourning over our sins. Mourning over the heartache that things have happened. And then saying, God, I've given it to you. I've laid these tears at your altar. Now comfort me. That's a blessing. How many would rather have blessings of comfort than any paycheck? Hello? Hello, how many know paychecks can't wipe tears from your eyes? Have you learned that yet? How many know raises and promotions can't do that? I thank God for those things. But only when you have a situation like my mother losing our sister, her daughter. You know, there was, she, you know they live in a nice house. There's nothing in that house that could come for you. Am I, am I telling the truth? Can you say amen, mama? Woo! My mama's here. Hallelujah. She remembers me preaching to couches. But I want to tell you something. Waking her up. Coming home at 2 in the morning from all-night prayer meetings, and she still wanted to beat me every now and then. Woo! Got a good mama. Okay, because I haven't turned from the way of the Lord. The Bible says even though he departs, he'll come back. But anyways, mama, when you lost Jenny and you lost your daughter, all that house, all of that furniture, all your cars, all your clothes didn't comfort you. What comforted you is Christ Jesus. Am I telling the truth? Amen. I'll tell you what, that's what the world needs is some comfort. They're saying right now we should be depressed during seasons when it gets dark outside. Now people are trying to say you should be depressed when you have a child, you know, postpartum depression. You should be depressed, man. The devil's a liar. You should be happy, amen. You should be full of joy. That's God's plan. And if you go through sorrows, it's okay. Don't try to bottle it in. Mourn and lay it at his altar because he'll comfort you. Praise the Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We learned about knowing our identity. Meekness is knowing who you are. Knowing your position, where God's placed you in life, and knowing your function in that position. And when you are meek, God blesses you. When the wife submits to the husband, knows her place. When the husband serves and loves his wife as Christ does the church, in meekness, there's a blessed family. When kids know their place and they serve their parents and they're obedient, then there's a blessed home. How many blessed homes we have here? Amen. And then when we as a society, we follow the rules of authority. Yes, I'm equal in my identity, in my personhood to Ricky as a police officer. But he has a position and a function over me representing the law. And we as a community, when we obey those laws and submit to that authority, there's peace in our community. And that's why the Bible says we'll inherit the earth. See, Jesus is going to say to us one day, well done, Josh. You were meek. You turned the other cheek. You were a humble man. You knew who you were and fulfilled your purpose. Now this is yours. Enter into my kingdom. Amen. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What a great song that we sing in church. We can't sing it enough. Hungry I come to you, for I know you satisfy. I am empty, but I know your love does not run dry. So I wait for you. I'm falling on my knees, offering all of me. That's the prayer of a hungry soul. David said, I hunger and thirst for you as a deer pants for water in the wilderness. We ought to be hungry for righteousness. And to be thirsty for his glory. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to get hungry for God. Oh, come on. We're having some good times here. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We talked about what mercy means. It's extending kindness and compassion to those that don't even deserve it. It's being kind to even your enemies, and especially those who deserve it. That's being merciful. Then the Bible says, if you've been merciful... I will be merciful to you. That's what Jesus says. He'll be merciful to us. Then we learned the second definition, which was last week, is that mercy is forgiveness. It's not approving of one's behavior. It's not saying, oh, I don't mind you stabbing me in the back. Ah, it's okay. No, it's not saying that. It's saying, I forgive you of gossiping. It's telling the people that hurt you, I forgive. Everybody say, I forgive you. That should be a word and a phrase that we continually use. And then now today, we'll be talking about blessed are the pure in heart. 
for they will see God. That's going to be a great message today. And then we'll go on to blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those when you are blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Everybody say blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, you're blessed. This is the kingdom way. The kingdom way is to be blessed. Now, today it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's look up the pure in heart, rather. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean to be pure in heart? Pure in heart simply means to have your sins forgiven. To look at your life like a cup that you have just drank out of pop and you set it into the uh, the sink, and you didn't wash it for a couple days, and you come back, and it's all crusty. It's got a whole bunch of goop in it, and then you start to wash it. You, you put the sponge down in there. You, you put that, that brush down in there, and you clean it out. The Bible says that your heart was filthy with sin. My heart was filthy with sin. And that Jesus Christ took his blood like bleach, like soap, and went to the deepest parts of our lives and washed us and cleansed us. And he now says, blessed are you when your heart is pure. You see, you and I are not starting, if we're Christians, we're not starting every day with a dirty heart. We're starting every day with a clean heart. And that's why we ought to keep it clean. And when we go throughout the day like clothes, we see them get stained. We ought to wash it and clean it. And if we sin today, we ought not to plan on sinning. But if we should sin, if we do stumble, we then should come to God and say, Lord, cleanse me of these sins. Purify my heart. And then by faith receive his forgiveness and say, my heart is pure before you, God. You see, when we say as Christians, my heart is pure, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. What it just means is all my sins, all the things that my mind can possibly know in my soul that I've done against my God, I have brought it to him and I have a clear conscience. That's what it means to be pure in heart. Also, it means to be honest with your life before God and man. Purity symbolizing transparency. If I had a glass of water up here, which I do somewhere. Nancy, can you hold, hand me this? This water, thank you, is pure, and it represents transparency. So you can see my hand behind that glass. Everybody see that? And what a person that's pure in heart does is they say, God, here I am. This is my life. I am transparent before you. These are my struggles. These are my weaknesses. God, I give them to you, and you're transparent. You're honest with God. And as you do that, God will purify you. He will continue to make you clean. You come before man. See, Christianity is not a one-man team here. You ever seen a Super Bowl team with one player? You ever seen that happen? And neither do you ever see a successful Christian all by themselves. We are meant to be a team. So it's coming up to pastors who you can think as coaches and leaders and then each other who are teammates and saying, hey, here are my struggles. Here's what I'm going through. Can you pray with me? Can you continue to keep me accountable that I can live the calling that God's given me? Can you say pure in heart? Amen. That's what it's about. And then to live holy. Or just to say to live like Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. It says they shall see God. There's a lot of people today that want to see God. I think every atheist that I've ever met says, hey, if I just saw God, I would believe. But you know what? They'll never see God with a filthy, dirty heart. Jesus said only the pure in heart see God. I want you to think about it like this. I have a new apartment, and our front door does not allow you to kick off your shoes before you come in because we share um, uh, upstairs with another tenant. And so when I come in, I would have to take off my shoes and carry them around back. So there's a back entrance. So what we do is in the back porch, we set up a rug out there, and people can come from the back, kick off their snow, then take off their shoe, and walk down our hallway into our house. Everybody say a clean house. Okay. If someone came to my front door and knocked, I would say, please come around back. Now, if that person said, I just don't want to come around back, I'd be like, okay, well, listen to me. If you want to come into this house, you have to come around back. Okay? And if they're like, I just don't want to come back, you're not really my friend and left. That's not my fault. You understand? You see, because I provided a way for them to get into the house, all it would do is just take them going through another door. Are you all listening? And you see, people out here, they want to see God. They want to talk to God. But they want to come to God their way. They want to do it on their terms. They want to have a beer in their hand, cuss out their kids in the, in the morning, and they still want to be able to see God. They want to be religious, knock on His door on Sunday, and then expect Him to open it up and say, oh, welcome. 
come home, son. No, God says, if you want to come and see me, you got to come the way I said. You got to come pure in heart. And all those who are pure in heart will see God. You will feel his presence. You will know his glory. You will hear his voice. If you're pure in heart, say amen. You see, that's the difference. You see, it's the difference between going the wrong way and the right way. Jesus is saying, all those who are pure in heart see God. Therefore, if you want to see God, be pure in heart. The unpure will not see God. What does it mean to see God, to know him personally? He, he said to Joe, he said to Carla, he said to you, he said to everybody in here, you want to see me? you got to go down the Calvary Road. You've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Then you'll know me, he says. He says, you'll know me personally. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. The sheep hear my voice. Another voice they do not listen to. You see, you'll hear his voice. You'll know God. And then one day, literally, you will see him face to face. Now, we learned in the lesson on blessed are the righteous that our righteousness does not come from ourselves. So, in other words, we can never be good enough. So if you're thinking right now, man, my heart's a little dirty, Pastor, so I'm going to work harder at being good. You can work all day and not be good. You can never be good enough, rather, to see God in heaven, especially to meet him on judgment day. So here's how it works. You come to him, ask him for his righteousness. You ask him for his strength. Then on judgment day, he sees his blood. He sees his covering, and you're clothed in righteousness. And Jesus says, I can't see your sin. I see your blood, my blood. The Father says, I don't see his sin. I just see you covering him. He's a new creation. Old has passed away. All things have become new. That's what Jesus Christ is talking about. Are you listening? You're going to see him, and he's going to say, well done. Even though we've messed up, one day we're going to see him, and all of our sins are going to be forgiven, and, and, and we're going to be pure before his eyes. That's day is coming. That's why Adam and Eve couldn't be with God anymore. Did you all ever understand that? Why did God have to leave the Garden of Eden? That's a great question. Why God had to leave the Garden of Eden is because physical bodies with sin can no longer dwell with the spiritual God that is holy. And his holiness in the garden would have burned us all up. It would have been a nuclear bomb on this planet. That is why when Jesus came, he had to put on an earth suit like space guys going up. Astronauts have to put on a space suit to go up there. Jesus, to come down here, had to put on an earth suit. He had to put on flesh, and that was to protect us from his glory. Are you all listening? him and you see when we saw him that's why he said when you see me you see the father but the bible says in philippians 2 when he put on that earth suit he had to lay aside his glory so that he would not kill us with that glory but one day somebody say one day he's coming back y'all and he is not coming back like little dito in a manger he is coming back on a white horse to judge this world in glory and the pure in heart will see him and say maranatha even come so now lord jesus can you say amen and then purity also talks about reflection. When a glass is pure, you see your reflection. If a glass a mirror is dirty, you don't see your reflection. And so what the pure in heart are able to do is see who they are. You see, that man that was drunk last night was not pure in heart because he couldn't see who he was. He thought he was religious. He thought that he was acceptable to God, but he didn't understand who he was. See, the pure in heart know who they are. See, David, even though he sinned, and he, and he committed adultery, which was a gross, uh, just despicable, abominable sin, and he felt so bad for it. In Psalms 51, he said, God, blot, blot out my iniquity so I never have to see it again. You know why? Because he was pure in heart. He said, God, I know I've sinned, but this sin is so disgusting. Will you blot it out? You see, the pure in heart are actually ones that love to repent. You see, repentance is not a bad thing. You see, it would be like me looking in the mirror, and then all of a sudden, I, I see a it. And I'm like, when I beat down the mirror, and I'm like, this garbage mirror, because I have a zit. It's not the mirror's fault. Are you all listening? You see, how many people are glad you had a mirror that worked this morning? Because you could take care of yourself. Hallelujah. You know, I need a lot of help. Amen. And you know, you got to shave and do all. How many are thankful for the mirror? All right. When you look at the word of God in a pure heart, you see who you are. You don't have to curse out God and get all mad at him. He's just trying to change you into his image. You see, the pure in heart enjoy that. Oh, Christ, I, I need to change this attitude a little bit. Oh, Christ, I need to treat my wife a little different. Christ, uh, oh, man, I need to go to school and, and be a little different. And, and you're cleaning up as his grace allows, as his spirit empowers, and you see God. Somebody say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. Turn with me now to Psalms 24, verse 1. One of the greatest examples, amen, damn, I'm preaching. <laughs> amen. One of the greatest things, that, or the greatest persons of the Bible is David. 
David wrote the book of Psalms, which are basically songs slash prayers. If you ever want help on praying or you just want to kind of boost up your time of praying, read a psalm as a prayer. Read what David prayed as your prayer. Make it personal. You will see that David had such a heart for God. That's why I love our worship band up here. That's why we should always be submissive to the things they ask us to do. If they say, raise your hand or come to the front. You know why? Because they're worshiping God, man. They're up here, and and they're seeing what God is doing, and we should really follow that lead. Because when I read David, man, I just say, man, I want to be like David. I want to be a worshiper. And David had this concept that the closer I get to God, the more I realize how much I need him. You know, Albert Einstein had what was called the circle of knowledge. And what Albert Einstein would do with his class and with people around him, because everyone thought he was, he was brilliant, and everyone thought that with his brilliance there came somewhat of a contentment, like, oh, you know so much, and you're finally like, oh, I feel so good, I know everything. And what Albert Einstein's design was called the circle of knowledge, and he put on the chalkboard a little, a little circle here, and then he would say, The circle represents everything I know. The circumference around the circle represents everything I don't know. And he says, the more I know, the bigger the circle gets, the more the circumference is, the more I don't know. He says, then if I make this circle so big and I know all that is in this circle, all the area around it, now I don't know. And that's really what it's like. The more closer you get to God, the more you realize how perfect and holy he is. And the more you need him and the more you depend on him. And look at what Psalms 24 David said. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false he will receive blessing from the lord and vindication from god his savior such is the generation of those who seek him who seek your face O god of jacob oh man if that don't get you excited you got to get saved today Man, you got to get saved. If that don't get you excited, I'm so serious. Get saved. Because this man right here is saying, I need more of God. I want to seek his face. David was saying there's a place where God dwells. He's probably referring to Zion, which is the representation of the temple, the tabernacle, or wherever that Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's covenant between man and himself. And his glory would come there. His presence would come there. You could see a fire by night and a cloud by day. You could see manifestations of that. David is saying, those that want to go there, those that want to be in this place, let me show you in the Old Testament what it looked like right here. Here's all the message preview. If y'all can read that now, you know what I'm going to talk about. And here we go. Right here is the temple. He is saying, if you want to go there, where that pillar of fire is, where God's presence is, if you want to be there, you've got to have clean hands. Your hands represent what you touch by what you do. What are you touching in life? You see, when people drink, they have to touch it. When you smoke, you have to touch it. You see, hands represent where you are. To touch the, uh, the computer, put on pornography, a hand to fight, a hand to drive you to someplace that you ought not to go. Are you all listening? You've got to have clean hands. Next thing he says is you've got to have a pure heart. Heart, we're going to learn today, represents everything in your inward man. It represents your thoughts, your words, your desires. He's saying down there, right here, where no one knows you, where only you know yourself and God, when you lay on that bed at night and your wife doesn't even know the secrets of your heart, God says your heart has to be pure. He wants your heart to be pure. Amen. It has to be clean before him, transparent, honest, reflecting his glory. And then he says, it's not lift up his soul to an idol. Today, you may not see people go, oh, hail Super Bowl. Oh, hail Super Bowl. You may not see people do that. But in America, we bow down to the sports and to entertainment. And the Bible says you can't put anything before God. You put Super Bowl before God, you're going to be in a lot of problems. You're going to have super trouble. All right? You're going to have super trouble if you put God, uh, you know, Super Bowl before God. And then he says, not swear by what is false. You see, God is, uh, David is saying here, if you want to get in a place with God, if you want to see him, you've got to have clean hands, a pure heart. And then that's so awesome. I love how the Bible just confirms the Bible. See, David says pure heart. And then here he says blessing. And we're learning today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they see God. And then here he says, we seek his face. We see him face to face. Look at your neighbor and say, seek God's face. Now, I want you to think about these two questions when we're talking about the heart today, because number one, we got to know what is man's heart? 
If you're going to keep it pure, you need to know what is your heart. And number two, it's going to be good to know where your heart is. So Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Well, what is your heart? I want you to think about what your heart is today. Your heart, and another word for your heart, is your soul. And your soul can be defined as your mind, the part that thinks and computes and goes through life, um, reacting and, and inspiring things, your mind, your will. What you desire to do, what you go after, what you don't go after for lack of will. And lastly, your emotions, what you feel, how you feel. Now, all of us here today have the same DNA, have the same breakdown of us as human beings. We are all human, okay? There's not many races. There's just one race, and it's called the human race. Amen? So racism is ignorance right there. We all have the same gene code, DNA. All of this is the same. But you know what? We're all different. Well, what makes us different? Am I different because I have black hair? Am I different because I wear glasses? No, no. Physical attributes do not make me different. You know, gain a lot of weight, lose a lot of weight. That doesn't make me different. What makes me different is my mind. That's what makes you unique. It's your mind. That's where your personality is. What makes us who we are is our emotions. Some things you get excited about, I may not get excited about. Things I get excited about, you may not get excited about. Other things that make up who we are is our will. What do you will to do? You will to work a certain job. I will to do this. You see, that's what makes us who we are. And Jesus is saying is blessed are people who are pure in their mind, in their thoughts. Blessed are people who are pure in their emotions. Blessed are people who will to do the right thing. And that's what man's heart is. Now you might be saying, where is all of that? The Bible says that is in your soul. And what we call in theology, the uh, non-tangible things are incorporeal. That means these are the things that you cannot touch. Corporality represents the physical world, your five senses. Your soul is incorporeal. It is a part of your spiritual being. And I want you to look at it like this. Man is made in God's image. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call that the tri-unity. What's another way of saying tri-unity? Amen. Everybody say Trinity. So when you look at yourself, we are made in the image of God, the body representing the five senses, our soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions, and our spirit. The Bible says that the soul and spirit are inseparable except by the word of God. The word of God is the only thing that can have you distinguish what is of God, what is of your spirit, and what is of your soul. And what comes from false spirits, evil spirits, or what comes from the Holy Spirit. The uh, the word is the only thing that can distinguish your soul from your spirit. But they are one. Now watch. I'm going to make it even more plain right here. This is how Adam and Eve was created. In a spirit connected to God. Because God is a spirit. God is a spiritual being. And God created us with a spirit connected to him. That is why Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and knew not that they were naked. Because their spiritual life glowed around them with the glory of God. And the physical things was not the most important. The most important was the spiritual things. How many people can see we got it messed up now? Hello? With all these, you know... uh, I want to say renovations, but they don't call it. What do they call cosmetic surgery? Plastic surgery. There it is with all these renovations. All these things people are doing to the physical body is actually accenting on the least important part of who you are. The Bible says, yes, physical exercise is good, but godliness works unto all things. So train yourself to be spiritual. That's what it says. So here we are. We have a connection to God. Then how does God speak to man? How did God design us to spiritually relate to him? Are we just supposed to, you know, like plug into him like, like we're plugged in like, and we're like getting downloads like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I hear you, man. I understand now. No. How did he communicate with Adam and Eve? He talked to them. He related to them. So what did they have to have for him to have a conversation, a mind? And then he gave them a will. And that's the thing that messed us all up. So a lot of people blame it on the devil. It wasn't the devil that, that caused man to sin. It was man's desire to want to sin. You see, man was in a perfect environment. The Garden of Eden was perfect. Man was perfect himself. He had no tendency to sin. And he had a perfect relationship with God. And yet, in his will, he made a choice. In his heart, he made a choice to go to the tree where Jesus said, don't even get by this tree. It's like, gentlemen, don't even go on those sites where those nudie pictures are. It's like, women, don't even turn on that soap opera for five minutes and say, you're just going to check out so-and-so because it's going to be a long, lot, long, lot longer than that. Hello? So God said, don't even go there. But they went there, and then they sinned. So what was sin? Disobedience to God. What made them sin? It wasn't their environment. 
A lot of people say, oh, if I change my environment, I'll stop sinning. That may help you, but that can't make you stop sinning. What made them sin? Was it because they didn't see God? They were not spiritually awakened? They couldn't read their Bible and pray? Because a lot of people say, oh, if I would pray, read my Bible and see God and feel God all the time, I'd be fine. No, they saw God. They knew God. They walked with God. There was no atheist in the Garden of Eden, right? And then some people say, oh, you know what? If I was perfect, if I was perfect, if I didn't have these addictions, these smoking habits, all these things that I started that I can't quit, I can serve God. They had no habits. They had no addictions. They had nothing to be addicted to. But what did they have? A heart with a will. And they walked their body right over to that tree. They listened with their ears, and they became tempted, what the Bible says, physically. The fruit looked good for their eating. Then the devil spoke to their mind and their soul and said, hey, if you eat this, you're going to be just like God. You see, what happens in temptation is in your heart. It's in your inner man. And what temptation does is distract you, deter you, have you miss the mark from what God has. In the moment Adam and Eve said, I believe that, versus what God says. That was sin. Their spirit man died that day. They lost their connection. Lights went out. They realized at that moment they were naked. Then when God came in the garden, instead of them running to God, they fled from God. God now was someone they were afraid of. He was their best friend. He was their creator. But the moment they sinned, he became their judge. Hello, somebody. And you see, then Jesus, out of his mercy, had to sacrifice an animal apply blood to them to forgive them and then send them out of the garden and say now you have to learn the law of what you broke and that's why the law of Moses came then Jesus Christ came to die for our law somebody say I'm learning amen so what's going on here is in the inner man in that heart in our soul we've sinned against God the lights are out spiritually so Jesus comes along and what does he say in John chapter 3 to that guy, Nicodemus, who was religious, who prayed all the time, who went to church, who was a great man, he was a good man. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Hey, you're not good enough to get to heaven on your good works. You've got to be what? Born again. Everybody say born again. He says, I tell you the truth, no man can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus scratched his head and he said, you mean I got to go back up in my mother's womb? And y'all just think about that just for a quick second. That would be a crazy mess, wouldn't it? Y'all just think that's gross. I know, I know, but he said it. It's not my fault. He's saying, do I have to go back up in the womb? And you could just imagine Jesus going, what are you thinking, dude? No. No, Jesus, no. So he said, do I go back up in the womb? And Jesus is going, no, no, no. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You all with me? Jesus said, what is of the flesh is of the flesh. What's of the spirits of the spirit? God has to come into your life spiritually. Make you a new man. When you're born again, the Bible says all things become new. Where? On the inside. You're a new creation on the inside. Bible says on judgment day. See, it's a good thing your body dies. See, this body has sin. See, I got scratches, imperfections, sicknesses, all of these things. And no matter how many times I got get healed, no matter how many times I fix myself, repair myself, the Bible says this body has to die. It has to shed itself for me to get the new body. See, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You ever think about that? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. God says, you can't come to heaven wearing that. You can't come up here through the front door like that. What are you thinking? You come up to heaven with that body, you're going to die and suffer. You're going to be in pain. He says, this body's got to die that your soul and spirit come to heaven and that then you get a resurrected body. But today, right now, where does it start? It starts on the inside. Seeing the kingdom of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they see God. One day I'll see him face to face, but right now the Bible says I see him through a glass that's stained with, with my flesh and humanity in this world. But if I get in his presence and I look for him, I can even see him in this world. Can you say amen? That's what God is talking about. Now he's saying the heart has to be pure. You see, the spirit of God lives with the spirit of man on the inside. But if my soul is dirty, if my soul is full of sin, I won't see God. 
Are you all getting that? That's why it has to be pure. That's why it has to be transparent. That I can see and understand God. Because if my mind is all on the world and all on my job and worldly things, no matter how good or noble they may seem, it will block my vision towards God. And no matter how much we try to give into our emotions, what feels good, the Bible says your emotions can take you from God. And no matter how much you will to be a better person, do better things, your will will take you from God. But oh, if you get pure in heart, if you put your mind on Christ, if you get feeling Jesus and you will to keep his commandments, you will see God. That's a good place for everybody to say amen. Amen. We will see God. So here's what we're going to talk about today. That was the introduction. Ten minutes for the message. Look at your neighbor and say, he's preaching now. All right. Look at the three things right up here we got to learn to keep this heart pure. Number one, we're going to keep our thoughts pure. We've got to keep our thoughts pure. Number two, We've got to keep our words pure. We've got to speak words of life. We've got to speak words of encouragement. It doesn't mean you can't tell the truth, but we've got to tell the truth from the right angle, from God's angle. And number three, we've got to watch our actions because your thoughts and your words determine your actions. And so we've got to keep this pure. And when we sin, God will forgive us. He will purify us. But our desire has to be having a pure heart because then we will see God. So let's start with our thoughts. Everyone turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Starting with our thoughts. How do we keep our thoughts pure? This is, in still, this is still part of the Sermon on the Mount, if you didn't just catch that. This scripture is found in Matthew 5, 27 through 28. We will get to this subject, adultery and lust in the heart. But I want you to see how Jesus determines what adultery is. We know adultery is to have sexual relationships with a woman or a man that we're not married to. But look what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his what? In his heart. Now, what's he talking about? The part that's inside of us? No. That little organ, he's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about in your soul. Well, what part of your soul just says, ooh, my soul? No, he's talking about your mind. Where are you going to lust after that woman? Right here. Where is that going to feel good? In the emotions. Where is that going to be acted out? In the will. Take that principle for every sin. There it is. It's not just those who murder that are murderers. In James it says those who get angry at their brother or their sisters, they are murderers as well. As a matter of fact, it even says it in Matthew 5. Who are those that gossip? Is it just those who open their mouth and spread their slanderous lies? No, those who gossip on the inside, who just keep telling themselves lies about another person or, 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 or offenses they have about that person. See, the Bible says in the heart is where it's at. It starts in the heart. Where do you think your physical words that make sound waves that people's ears and eardrums perceive, where do those things come from? Come from your mind, which is in your soul. And the Bible is saying your soul needs to be pure. I want you to see another scripture, Psalms 1-2. Just look up here, please. David said, blessed is the man who finds his delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. See, you and I, some people say when we come to church, we get brainwashed. That's a good thing. We all need our brains washed. Amen? We need a renewing of our mind. When I became a Christian and you became a Christian, my spirit, your spirit became new, but your mind is still the same. You understand that, right? When you became a Christian, you're like, oh, by golly. I feel like just loving everybody around me. I mean, you might have felt like that, but, but how many know you felt temptation too? How many know that as things went on, you kind of lost your temper? Some things that maybe bothered you still kind of bothered you. You all know what I'm talking about. How many know parents see your kids come to the youth group and we still got to work on them? Amen. They're saved, but we're working on the mind. How many husbands and wives still working on each other? Being patient with each other? Loving each other? Not giving up and going to bed angry with each other? That's my boobs are right there. We're not perfect. You'll find out how unperfect you are once you get married. Amen. Well, I mean, I was like a bachelor to the rapture. And then once I got married, my little angel came in, and she's helping me love Jesus more. That's the way I look at it. Amen? But look at right here. Even though our mind is not where it's supposed to be, we can begin to have it transformed. And we're going to get to that scripture in just a minute. Even though this hard drive has been corrupted, it can be changed. It can be cleansed. And I want you to look at these stats right here. The average person probably is up about 16 hours. So that's where I got these numbers from. And I've researched it a little bit here. The average person in one 16-hour day will think 50,000 thoughts. Think about that. Think about how you think. 
What are you thinking about right now? He's got me thinking about what I'm thinking. He's asking me why am I thinking. What am I thinking about, right? What are you thinking, you know, today? What are you going to be thinking tomorrow? What do you think? I mean, you and I can think uh, 3,000 thoughts just in an hour. So you have had 3,000 thoughts just since you've been here. And literally that comes down to about 52 thoughts a second. I mean, a minute rather. That's almost one thought a second. We are just running in our mind. This is the most complex organism and creation on the entire planet. The NASA computer only can do certain amount of calculations per minute, and it's extremely high. But we calculate and have electrical neurons, more things going on inside of our brain than the most complex computer in the entire world. And the, the evolutionist, will, if you say to him, do you think that NASA computer just came together, an explosion at a computer? factory and over a million years little parts came together and made that be like no that's so dumb dude but you think my brain which is more complicated than that just came together from a monkey and ape and a and a rabbit and a squirrel and a whatever it all goes back to a little amoeba in the water you know like what is that little thing a little thing's not me the devil's a liar somebody say the devil's a liar the bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made and so these thoughts are running through our minds one of the things that they've, they've, they've kind of calculated, and I don't know how they have done this, but they believe that the average person in, in just 100 years ago, before the time of technology, only had about 25,000 thoughts uh, a day. And so what they're saying is because we have become so multi-taxed, we are running this hard drive really quick right now. And that's why sometimes we call our kids ADHD. Because, you know, they're just like running a million miles a minute. And they're just like TV games, video games, you know, homework. And like, you know, they got the little iPods on but you know what that just means their brains running faster we can train them the right way amen we don't have to medicate them and i'm nothing against if you want to try that route but let's try jesus first amen now think about this if you just had 10 percent of all of your today's thoughts negative one out of ten that means in one day you would have thought five thousand negative thoughts man do you know why people are depressed it's because they let this thing got out of hand I tell people all the time who are depressed, if I thought the way you thought, if I spoke the way you spoke that many times in a day, come see me in two weeks, I'll be tore up from the floor up. I mean, come on, you, you can't walk around in your hard drive saying, nobody likes me, nobody likes me, 3,586 times, nobody likes me. Or, or think about how many times, how many thoughts we waste on other people. Oh, so-and-so did me like this. I can't believe my coworker said this. And we'll go home, drive an hour in traffic, and we'll waste 3,000 thoughts on what happened at work. Somebody say, help us. Jesus, oh, Lord, he is saying, keep your heart pure. Once you see, and man, it's for every human being. Your pastor is, is so in need of this. Because I, I just, man, I get like that, that, I don't know if anybody gets that broken record thought, like just over and over. It's just, man, you've got to just stop yourself and do what David said. I will meditate on the law of God. And you know what? Your family's in God's plan. And, and there's so many other things to think about. And, and, that, and we always hear, you know, PMA, positive mental attitude. But it's more than that. It's a spiritual mental attitude. It's putting it on the Word of God. It's saying, this is what God says about me. I give that you know, situation to God and you pray about it. The Bible says, cast your cares, cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And the Bible says, when you pray, bring your requests to Him and then bring Him thanksgiving and the peace of God, which transcends your little hard drive, that comes from your spirit, that transcends your mind, will give you everlasting peace. Praise God. Sometimes you won't figure it out, friends. We cannot, our little, even though this cantaloupe-sized brain is pretty cute and it's got a lot of power and a lot of, you know, megawatts in it, we can't figure out this whole world. How many know we just got to trust God sometimes? I said sometimes we just got to shut it down and be like, my thoughts are on Jesus now. Put up your little screensaver and just hang out with the Lord and get high on Jesus. Amen? Oh, bless the Lord. I want you to see these scriptures right here. Obviously, this is going to be a two-parter, Okay. All right, because I don't want to delay the, the service. God, God is blessing. I got so much more to share. This is just one of the three points here. Okay, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. How do we get pattern to the world in our mind? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
That word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosize. And that word sounds really cool. But this is where the example of metamorpho comes, comes in best. The caterpillar metamorphosizes into a butterfly. The caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. Everyone, when we're born again, we have a caterpillar mind. This mind is old school. This mind thinks like the world. Whether it's, it's like my father's mind, who I think is brilliant, but you know what? No matter how great my dad is, his mind still is on the world without God. My mind, no matter how cute my mother is and how much I love my mom, I love you, mama. If her mind, amen, if her mind is not on Christ, it's still a mind of the world. Are you all listening? Those caterpillar minds of ours have got to get transformed. You all seen Transformers? It has to be rearranged. It has to look, the, the, little, the little tire has to become an arm. Y'all listening? What we used to say we never do, now we got to do. Oh, I'll never raise my hands. Oh, you got to be transformed. You've got to raise your hands. Oh, I would never pray for an hour. Oh, you got to, you got to be transformed. Change your stinking thinking. Amen? you got to get changed. Oh, I can never love my enemies. Oh, yes, you can. God can change you. And this is what it says. When you allow that renewing to happen, then you're able to test and approve what's God's will. See, a lot of people want to see God but not come the right way. A lot of people want to say, I'll give this a try but not do it the right way. How you serve God in Christianity is changing this up here. You cannot serve God wanting to live like the devil. And I'll tell you where it starts. It starts right in your spirit. The day I got born again, November 5th, 1995, I have never looked the same at alcohol and drugs because the Lord did that. And when I am tempted, and, and, and it's tempting for me to go back, and sometimes when I sin and, and, I, and I feel so guilty, you know what God says is your little semi-truck needs to become Omegatron again. You need to transform. And and you see, that process is called sanctification, being made holy. It's for the rest of our lives. So, Christian, don't give up just because you feel tempted. Don't give up just because things don't always work out the way you thought they would as a Christian. But continually being transformed. God is working on you. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a work in progress. That doesn't mean you're working on your salvation. You are saved. But the works of your salvation are being worked out in your life. Look at Psalm 63, 6. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Right now, we are more self-medicated through alcoholism, and we are more medicated through prescription depression pills. America today is more sad and depressed than it's ever been. And one of the keys of cognitive therapy as they always teach, you have to change the way you think. You have to change the way you think. All medication does in cognitive therapy is it slows the brain down so that you can try to get your will to change your mind. That's all it's doing. It cannot change your mind for you. I know people, and you know people, that have been on depression medication for 30 years. Those medications were never meant to try to sedate you that long. It's only meant to sedate so your mind can become clear again. But here's what David said I do. He said, my days can be good, they can be bad. People can treat me nice. People can treat me mean. Things can happen that I understand. And some things that can be the hardest days of my life, like losing my sister and things like that. I have no clue to what's going on. David says, every day I lay on my bed and I think about God. I just think about the Lord, and I think about what He's done for me, and I put my life in perspective to His Word. David said, I go to bed at peace. You see, you go to bed at peace. You will cure yourself, or God will cure you from depression. You lay down your bed and say, God, I just think about you. Look at Psalm 77, 12. I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of your doings. Talking about the Super Bowl won't change your life. Talking about who's getting raises and promotions on your jobs. Young people talking about who's got the nicest clothes will not change your life. Put God's words in your mind and put his words on your lips and your life will change. Somebody say amen. Woo! Can we stand to our feet and give God some praise in the house of God? Come on, Metro praise. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Rachel, would you come forward, please? Oh, Jesus, we thank you today that, Lord, you brought us to this house to hear your word, to be changed by you. And God, by hearing your word, it starts right now. And Lord, even through the worship, what powerful things happen in worship when we just sing your words. God, we get to see you. And God, we see you like like how David saw you and how 
the prophets saw you, God, we, we see your glory. And, oh, God, how much more there is, God. We want to see you more. And so, Lord, today I ask, oh, God, for Metro Praise to be blessed and to keep a pure heart so that they might see you. You said, oh, Lord, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Lord, I'm so glad you did not say blessed are the religious the super intelligent, blessed are the rich because they'll see God and have a front row seat because they bribe their way there. God, I'm so happy that you said blessed are the pure in heart because God, today I can have your righteousness and purity and I get a chance to see you. Little old me, young people get to see you. God, those that didn't even think they would fit into a church have been coming here. Lord, they get to see you. God, the precious mothers and fathers in here, God, that feel like they're putting their life together just by strings and just just holding it barely all together, and they don't know who's helping them. God, you're helping them. And God, they get to see you. They get to call out to you, Abba, Father, Daddy, Poppy, and you come right to them. Oh, Jesus, what an honor it is to see you on this earth in our spirits. And God, one day you said, we will shed this earth suit. And God, you're going to give us a heavenly suit. You came to be with us so that we could come to be with you. Just like you rose from the dead, you're going to give us resurrection, oh God. A resurrected body. And Lord, you're going to say to us on that day, when we see you face to face, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom that I've prepared for you. Oh God, that day I want to see you. Spend my eternity with you. With every head bowed and eyes closed, we're going to take communion in just a few moments. I want to ask a very important question. Have you been born again? Have you been given another life or are you just living the first life that your parents gave you? If you have not been born again, you need today to ask Christ to come into your life. John 3.3 says you need to be born again. John 3.16 teaches you how to be born again. By believing in Jesus. Putting your faith in Him. That He died for your sins. He said that then He'll send you the Holy Spirit and you will become a new person. If that's you right now with every head bowed and eyes closed, I want you just to raise your hand. And we're not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray for you. And if you have known the Lord, but you've backslided, and it means to go back to who you used to be, just raise your hand as well and make a fresh commitment to God. Confess Him as your Lord. And start life today with Him. Because today He will purify you. Yes, we as Christians, disciples are works in progress. But there's only one way to be saved. That's either you are saved all the way or you're saved no way at all. So you don't have to work on salvation. No, that's a gift that comes now. Then the rest of your life, God makes you the person he wants you to be. But you need to come right now. Carla came just the way she was. I came just the way I was to my mother's kitchen table. You need to come just the way you are. Christians, let's pray this prayer with those that have their hands raised, backsliders, new people coming to Christ. And let's just pray it as our confession of faith that we trust God today. Everyone say this with me. Dear Jesus, I come to you today because I believe in you. I know today that you died on the cross for my sins. You were buried for my victory. And you rose from the dead to give me a new life. Today I accept your life. I accept your Zoe life. I want to live the God kind of life. Change me. Rearrange me. Start to transform my mind. And let my life please you. According to your word, I believe I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. Oh, would you just raise your hands and let God transform you today. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. We thank you, Lord, for transformation. Glory to God. I just want you to just raise up your hands and ask God to transform some of the things in your life today.